0: Welcome back to Health Call Live. If you've got a question, you don't have to give blood to get the answer. Just call us at 447-1190. Welcome back to the program. Here in studio with me is Dr. Matthew Sutter. He is the uh, Allen County Health Commissioner. Stepped into the job at a pretty tough time there, didn't you? I I did, yeah. It's been an interesting ride. So, you may not know that uh, Dr. Sutter uh, is uh, still working, still practicing emergency medicine. He still does a few shifts a month, he said. So, still in the trenches. What's the sense of what was happening in our local hospitals? Were we close to the edge? I mean, that was the big concern, right?
1: Yeah, so there were a couple times where the hospitals had extreme strain and um, were very nervous about their ability to uh, to provide services. I mean, the the term that's used is uh, modifying uh, actually goals of care isn't the right thing, but talking about you know how do we reduce the services, understanding that more people are going to die because we can't provide the same level of care. We never quite got there, but we mm-hmm. were up against the edge a couple times.
0: You know, I I guess I didn't make it clear, but we are going to be talking about some of the lessons learned in COVID in this half hour. And if that's something that you want to uh, uh, opine about, phones are open at 800-333-1190, 447-1190. Text line is open at 46862. What's the big takeaway? What do we learn from this whole mess?
1: Well, I, th- I think it, one of the things we've learned is that the the world is vulnerable to a novel virus. Um, you know, hopefully this will be, you know, the last one for a while, but we just don't know that. I mm-hmm. mean, 1918 was a big one. And then HIV was really the last pandemic we had. We're still living with the effects of that, although it's been modified. I don't think it's it's top of mind for a lot of people at this point. Um, you know, there's uh, we, we are still vulnerable as a world population to, uh, to novel viruses. And I don't think we're doing enough to really be surveilling that and preparing for that.
0: You know, that is one of the things that I noticed. I studied this very closely for the past couple of years. And data collection in other countries, they, they have such a better handle on what's going on in their population. Now, I get it. You know, when the government is providing health care, they've automatically got access to lots of data but where do we what else do we need to change to get ready for the next one
1: yeah, I mean, boy, there's a lot of things, Lee, and I'm not sure I've got, I've got a great answer prepared for that. You know, some of it is about preparation uh, at the hospital level. Um, some of it's just about how do, we, how do we manage crisis as a people, as a U.S. people? Do we come together or do we fragment and, and argue about it? Um, you know, one of the things that I think is that a lot of, this, a lot of these viruses are coming out of Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. They come out of mammals and, um, you know, doing surveillance in bat caves and things like that. Is something that uh, we've cut back funding for, and we were only doing it at a small level, and now we're doing it hardly not at all. That's our best bet to try and guess when the next virus is coming out that's going to make the jump to humans and potentially threaten things
0: want to dial back just a bit and take a look at what's going on locally here we're we're looking pretty good around here the case rates have dropped positivities falling uh, number of Hoosiers in the hospital right now I'm checking the dashboard is just about 900 people across the state so that's a pretty decent number compared to where we've been what is uh, the ba2
1: variant looking like to you is it a cause for concern I think we got to monitor it so the ba2 is sometimes called the stealth variant of the Omicron mm-hmm. um, and that's just because of the way it shows up in the PCR testing, the the standard Omicron variant, you can tell on a PCR test that it's likely that this new one has a has different changes to spike protein, so you can't tell. Uh, that's probably not very understandable, but um, but you know the biggest thing with that is it looks like it is does have a fitness advantage, so it's taking over in some areas, but relatively slow. Um, and some of the monoclonals may not work with it. So, so trivimab is the monoclonal that we have that's effective against the Omicron variant. We have it only in small amounts, probably. It doesn't work with the BA2. But the other therapeutics do look like they work, and it looks like the vaccines still have good um, coverage against this. So, uh, mild concern. I think the New York area's got maybe a 4% rate of BA2 is what I was hearing this morning. So, you know, it's not taking over like we saw Delta or like we saw Omicron.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing a different symptom profile as well. Dizziness and fatigue seem to be primary symptoms with BA2. Um,
1: but you know. I'm always skeptical about that. I mean, that comes out early, and then most of the times, what I found is by the time the surge really hits and we see it, it's kind of like well, it, it's kind of like COVID, which is the symptoms are almost everything.
0: So. What is your what are you hearing about the uh,
1: vaccine booster protocol going forward? Are we going to see an annual booster? Yeah, I don't think we know yet. I think it's still speculative. I think most likely yes, um, but I don't think that's assured. My guess is. Um, and again, this, this is all speculation. So if anybody tells you they know what it's like, they're either lying or selling something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it will probably settle in like flu, where we see a, a seasonal variation, maybe a little bit of epidemics, you know, localized in between those times, which we see with flu. But probably more in the winter. It'll probably be more severe than flu, more deaths every year than flu. Um, and so my guess is we probably will settle into kind of a cadence of a combined flu and COVID vaccine, or maybe two different things, where we get a booster every year.
0: So that raises the question of, are we going to establish a set of metrics by which public health policy will change and we might return to mandatory masking or whatever limitations might be in place. Are we going to be looking at hospitalizations, a positivity rate? What, how does that shaken out?
1: Well, funny you should say that because CDC just released those yesterday at four o'clock. They, they love uh, releasing things at four o'clock on Friday <laughs> yeah. for whatever reason. Right. So now they have switched from community transmission to community level, and that uses three metrics, uh, cases per 100,000 in the last week, uh, which was a traditional measure, but then new hospital admissions and percentage of hospital beds being used by COVID patients. So they call that a community level. So based on that, we're at medium uh, level of COVID. Um, And one of the things they changed is to say, in general, if you're healthy, not immunocompromised, not in a high-risk situation, don't have to wear masks indoors if you're low or medium.
0: Yeah, and there's criticism of that. People saying, "Okay, here's the CDC um, looking in the rearview mirror with those stats. You're not really getting ahead of it. Hospitalizations are a lagging indicator of prevalence." And a lot of uh, the debate around all this stuff has really been interesting. And in fact, the head of the uh, American Medical Association, Dr. Gerald Harmon, just spoke yesterday about the pandemic of mistrust that all of this has created and how that's affecting public health. What'd you read on that?
1: Yeah. So, boy, there's a lot of things that, that I've seen with that. I mean, one is I think there has been a gradual erosion in trust in experts um, and the vast vast availability of information um, with a difficulty being able to vet that leads to a lot of confusion. Um, you know, I, I think if the CDC, if I were to criticize the CDC, I mean, one of the things I, I think they're they're a little bit slow and they're not great communicators. And so um, that ends up being con- Confusing to people about why did they switch guidance on this and then mm-hmm. this? Their process is very deliberative, but it's a bit slow. And then when they communicate it, it's a lot of times difficult to understand.
0: Yeah. You know, I think you're absolutely right about that one. And it's so confusing. The whole mask issue has been so amazing. I can find a study. Tell me what your position is, and I can find a study that will agree or disagree with it, right? Right. I mean, masks are effective or they're not effective. I can show you either side of that. So, it really
1: does come down to what's your personal preference. What do you feel your risk level is? Uh, Sort of. So, I mean, the... the The way I would see that differently is science is messy. So science has lots of studies, and a lot of the studies will say opposing things. The question is not what does the latest study say, but what's the overall effect of that? How many studies are on one side? What's the quality of these studies? That's a difficult thing to do. And when we get these by press release, Mm -hmm. rather than the normal, slow way that science develops, it's incredibly confusing. We've seen this in nutrition for decades, right? Mm -hmm. Vitamin C is good for you. Vitamin C is bad for you. Coffee is good for you, coffee is bad for you. You know, uh, there, there is a scientific consensus to some of those things, but it evolves over time.
0: You know, to the point of nutrition, uh, somebody sent me a text message here. I feel uh, the department, I don't think he's talking about you necessarily, has done a poor job during the pandemic stressing the importance of diet and exercise to improve immunity, as well as urging people to lose weight, reduce sugar, fast food consumption. All of that leads to better health outcomes. And that really wasn't emphasized very largely. You know, the government of El Salvador had public service. Announcement saying, hey, get healthy, get fit, you know, get better away from COVID. But yeah, we didn't really get that messaging very clearly.
1: Uh, yeah, I would say that that's probably true. Although, you know, if somebody's if the house is on fire, it would be better if people were in better shape to get out. But that's not always my message. My message is, you know, what's immediate. I would love for people to to take on diet and exercise. It, it helps with so many chronic diseases, with so much of the health mm-hmm. of the population. But people are resistant to that. I don't think that's the best way to get change in the middle of a global pandemic. Uh, you know,
0: I, you're, you're absolutely right. When the house is on fire, uh, a little less sugar isn't going to have an immediate impact right Correct, yeah. we have a phone call somebody wants to chat with you so put on those headphones for a second and um, let's see what's on your mind here this morning go right ahead caller
2: yes uh, i've had two moderna vaccines and both uh, times i'm sorry can we go up, up, a little up, bit up, of a flare here. my arthritis and i'm due for a booster right now and um i wonder with the decreasing um COVID, whether I need to get a booster shot or not, because I'm due for it right now.
1: Were you able to track that call? Yeah. So you've had two Moderna uh, vaccines, and you're wondering whether a booster is a good idea, given the fact that our case rates are coming down. Do I have that right? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, what I would say is the booster looks like it's very effective. So, um, I'll get into the weeds just a little bit. Dosing um, your two vaccines three or four weeks apart is probably not optimal um, when you're not in the middle of very high case rates. So, the reason that is because there was so much severe disease, we wanted to get a decent level of immunity out there pretty quickly. But uh, the CDC just changed its guidance to say more than eight weeks is probably better. What we're seeing, and it's still early, is that that third dose actually has an outsized effect. It's not just a booster, it's the fact that it's it's far enough away from those other vaccines to provide really robust immunity. So yeah, I would say getting that booster is a good idea, even though case rates are uh, coming down. I think it will provide more protection than just, in the next two to three months you get extra protection because of your antibody levels, but I think there's a much longer protective effect um, that makes sense to get it.
0: And there's also an impact on long COVID from all of this. We're going to talk about long COVID, uh, some other uh, really kind of forward-looking questions around what has this pandemic done to us and the public health system? What needs to change there? And all that is going to happen as we continue here on the Health Call Live Radio Hour on WoWo. This is Health Call Live. We're glad you're listening, but don't be afraid to call and ask your question on the air. It's free, non-invasive, and best of all, you don't have to wear an exam gown. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. But as I always say, if you want to wear an exam gown during the program, that's that's on you. That's <laughs> entirely up to you. I'm here with Dr. Matthew Sutter. He is the Allen County Health Commissioner. We're talking about some lessons from COVID-19 now that we seem to be on the back end of this thing. I think we're all pretty well cons- in agreement on that, aren't we? Well,
1: I I think we're going to have a pause at least. I mean, again, as I've said, nobody's good at predicting this virus. But I think most people expect to have a little bit of a lull here, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but whether we'll see more this summer or whether it's going to wait till next winter, um, I don't think that's clear yet.
0: Yeah, it's it's coming. It's it's endemic, right? It's going. To, it's here. It's mm-hmm. going to keep circulating. Uh, yeah, and I don't think anybody's do
1: it. expecting to go away at this point.
0: So as we look out to the fall, uh, do you think we're going to get back to? I mean, do we have enough herd immunity that we're in probably not going to see the
1: kind of mass remediations that were necessary? Yeah, I mean... You're asking about whether we need to shut down society again. I don't think so. I mean, I I think we're past that. We've got good access to safe and effective vaccines. We have therapeutics that are in limited numbers, but those numbers are going to grow, especially for the oral medications. Um, And, uh, you know, now that we're seeing national decreases in numbers, it's more easy to get those therapeutics to the high-risk people who need them. I think all those are important things. And then we've got enough vaccination and infection-mediated immunity out there that I think that's going to blunt things. What we don't know is, you know, what's going to turn out in terms of variants. So Mm -hmm. we always worry that we're going to get a variant that's going to have vaccine escape or other immune escape. Omicron was, you know, it had some immune escape in terms of previous infection, partly why we saw these big case rates. Um, You know, we just don't know what that's going to look like.
0: And we don't know what's going to happen with long COVID. This is really interesting. I'm seeing lots of reports now about cardiovascular problems, blood clotting, neurological. Logical consequences that might appear even after a mild case of COVID, and comes up three months, six months, and extends for quite a while. What do we have in terms of resources in our community to help with that?
1: Yeah, so there are <laughs> – we don't have a lot that's organized right now in our community. I know that in Indianapolis they're starting to work on some things, and I think there are some physicians locally who are taking an interest. Um, the uh, When we talk about long COVID, it's such a, a, a broad reach. There are so many pieces of that, right. that some of that's specific to cardiovascular, which would be the cardiologist, some of it's specific to you know lung, which would be the pulmonologist. Mm-hmm. And then there's this kind of neurologic thing of chronic fatigue and um, uh, depression anxiety, you know, that's a little harder to to get a handle on all the time. And I don't know that we're great at that just yet.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a challenge trying to figure all that out and walk the path forward. Public health is going to receive a big injection of money. Washington, I think the government has committed $127 billion, I think is the number, to improve public health systems. What does that look like? Do you have any idea what that means yet?
1: Well, you know, Indiana has not been great for public health. I think we're tied for 49th in the country for public health funding. Um, you know, we've done a lot. And when we say we, I mean the team with the Allen County Health Department, with you know, relatively few assets compared to what we see in other states. I mean, I do think this speaks to the need for a robust public health system. Um, uh, we. We we need people out there. We need people who are doing this full time. Um, and I don't know that we've been great about that, but public health does a lot of other stuff, too. I mean, we're doing the restaurants inspections to make sure that people are safe. You know, septic systems is part of this. Uh, there's a whole broad range of things that we do to keep the public safe that people don't really think of.
0: I just saw a study that said the interest in public health education, students electing public health careers, has been spiked because of COVID. So, that could be one of the positive benefits after all of this.
1: Yeah, we could get some really good talent out of this you know, moving forward, and, and and that's our hope. I mean, I think this—we've not been great about thinking about public health in this country. We tend to think about our health on a very individual level, which mm-hmm. is the way doctors typically think of it. Thinking of the health of a whole population is really important, but we've undervalued that.
0: Yeah, what, uh, uh, what do you see as the long-term impact on— healthcare workers here. We keep hearing about burnout and and Dr. Harmon from the AMA touching on that point as well, that we've got to just get more healthcare workers in the system. Did this move us forward or set us back?
1: Yeah, temporarily for sure, it set us back. There are so many people who have left the bedside over this burnout, especially in frontline workers who've taken care of COVID patients, is just rampant. Um, hopefully, we'll get a little bit of a break and they'll get a chance to to um, kind of restore a little bit. I do think people might be interested in a healthcare career going forward, but it's going to be a gap until they're fully trained up and able to work. Right now, we're seeing a big migration.
0: Put those headphones on for me. Once again, sure. we're going to jump out to the
1: phones. We have Dawn on the phone. She has a, a booster question if you have uh, another ailment.
0: Dawn, go ahead. What's your question?
2: Dawn, are you with us? The gentleman that called in before, he mentioned that he had um, his arthritis flared up. And a couple things. When I had the second booster, I did, or the second um, vaccine um, shot, I... Uh, I had, um, I got a real high, high heart rate and I thought I was going to go to the hospital and it lasted for several hours. And then um, that was in August. And uh, in November, I received a letter that my um, vaccine was compromised. And since I had gotten the Moderna, they said that it was three times stronger than the Pfizer, that I should be okay but to get the booster. But I really do not want to get the booster because I don't want to go through that. I think my heart rate was almost 160.
1: Yeah, Dawn, I'm not going to be able to give individual medical advice. And this sounds like this is um, complicated enough that you really ought to consult your doctor on this. It gets a little difficult, especially with the variety of medical conditions that can cause a rapid heart rate.
0: Yeah, and Don, I'll just add to that. I did see. Uh, I'm having a hard time hearing you. I'm sorry. I did see a study uh, the other day that this uh, tachycardia uh, is 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 a consequence of the vaccine, and they think also of previous infection. So it's really curious to see. Again, as we were saying earlier, no one really knows what the long term impact is going to be. It's all so variable. This thing has been such a freaky virus.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Don. You said you'd had a hard time hearing me, but I think this is complicated enough that you really should consult your doctor and have a, a more in-depth conversation about your individual situation. Okay.
2: And I guess my curiosity was to why the why the um, vaccine was compromised.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure I've heard of that before, so I don't know exactly what that means in your case. Okay. Thanks, Don. Appreciate the call. Thank you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what, uh, what do you want people to know going forward here about um, media and how we've all handled this thing?
1: <laughs> um, so, yeah, we were talking on the break, Lee. I mean, one of the one of the um, difficulties of this has been um, science is messy. You know, if you're doing good science, you're gonna have lots of studies, and some of the studies are going to conflict on, on what they on what they say to each other. Um, you know when when we now get science by press release, which as soon as a, a study is announced, even before we see the contents and the data and such, um, it's automatically front page news. It's incredibly confusing to people. Um, you know, and as you said, you know, you sh- I show you a study, you can show me a study that says the opposite, and and really analyzing that requires a significant amount of training um, and a significant mindset to, to take um, all the studies together, to look at their quality, um, and then come up with kind of an overall feeling about does it move more this way or does it move more that way. There are scientific consensus on these things, and there's organizations that do that sort of thing. The problem is people don't trust experts. So if a consensus of scientists comes together and say, we've evaluated all these things, and we believe that this is what, this, what the data are are currently showing, um, well, somebody else is going to get on the Internet and say, yeah, but I, I heard this other person say this, and I believe them.
0: Yeah, that, that pandemic of mistrust that uh, Dr. Gerald Harman, the AMA, talked about, that might be one of the most important lingering consequences of this disease. Mm-hmm. That is Dr. Matthew Sutter. He is the Allen County Health Commissioner. And I just want to say thank you. Every time I've reached out to you to participate in the program, one way or another, you've made it work. So thanks. Appreciate that. Appreciate your availability. It's such a busy time. It's a pleasure, Lee. Thanks. All right, guys. Hey, next week, we'll see you again for another edition of the Health Live radio hour. You've been listening to Health Call Live. Watch a recording of today's program on the Health Call Facebook page or on the web at www.healthcall.live. Drop us a line to recommend a guest or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. Join us next Saturday at 9 a.m. for another edition of Health Call Live on WoWO 1190 a.m. and 1075 FM.